Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, February 27th, 2024, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-host, Anastasia. Well, our guest this evening is Tina Kinney-Clark, a Starseed Quest alumni and a part of our Starseed community for years. Tina has released her first book, Into the Tree, and we want to support her work by sharing it with you. In her book, you can discover a realm beyond the confines of our five senses and explore the enchanting landscape of the spirit world in this captivating book. Contrary to societal norms, life extends beyond the tangible, offering a magical dimension accessible through the transformative practice of guided shamanic journeying. Uncover the profound answers awaiting you in the spirit world. In this realm, you can traverse other lifetimes, commune with spirit and animal guides, and retrieve the fragmented pieces of yourself, uniting them within. This guide empowers you to embark on your shamanic journey, providing insights into life's most pressing questions, your purpose, health, romance, and career. Tina is a seasoned spiritual shaman with nearly a decade of experience guiding others on their transformative journeys, and this book is your gateway to a world of magic and revelation. As a mentor, Tina has not only certified dozens of students in Yushui Tibetan Reiki, hope I said that right, but has also imparted her wisdom through diverse classes covering topics such as tarot reading, embracing empathic abilities, honing psychic skills, shamanic healing, and more. Tina's expertise extends across the spectrum of modalities, including emotional freedom technique, theta healing, integrative energy therapy, shamanic journeying, soul retrievals, and beyond. Armed with this comprehensive knowledge, she guides individuals to release what no longer serves them, paving the way for a life of thriving authenticity. Her book is on Amazon, and her website is Tina Kinney Clark. And Kinney is K-I-N-N-E-Y, and Clark, C-L-A-R-K-E, Dot com. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest and hope to starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. And we'd like to thank Kathy, Jada, and Fiona for hosting the switchboard tonight for those who may have a question or comment. If you are already an astrologer and ready to learn advanced starseed astrology, please email me, ariel, at starseedhotline.com. Lavendar and I are gathering a small group of qualified people to learn the Starseed Codes. Our main website, starseedhotline.com. The Stage 1 Starseed Confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one Zoom session. We also have a new daily transit service to help you navigate your life and mission with greater success even if you know little or nothing about astrology. And remember, if you have a birthday coming up, 
you will get a window of 10 hours of power. You can find out exactly when it happens by requesting your solar return timing. And you can order that a week or two before your birthday. But if you want a reading of that chart, a month or two before your birthday is best. So first up tonight is Anastasia with her wonderful Starseed News. <laughs> that always makes me smile, gee. Me Thank too. you so much for that. <laughs> the wonders of recordings. I get applause once a week anyway, at least every two weeks, and I love it. Thank you. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, you know, spring is coming, and then there will be vacations, and maybe go to some national parks or play the tourist thing. Well, it's just great to be a tourist, but in the process, try not to be a tour-on. <laughs> you want to be a tourist, not a tour-on. So what is a tour-on? It's a new word, and it's our word for the day, our word for the week. A tour-on is a tourist plus moron. <laughs> As more and more stories are emerging of tourists doing idiotic and dangerous things, there is now even a new word, tour-on, and, and an Instagram account that describes the ridiculous things that tourists are now doing. Apparently, people are behaving very outrageously in America's national parks. I've actually come across stories like that. People do some pretty strange things. So on our journeys this spring and summer, let's be sure to be good tourists and try not to be tourons. Let's don't do anything <laughs> ridiculous. It shows that we're not only a tourist, but we're morons as well. <laughs> All right, that's your word for the day, Toron. You know, there are developing a lot of new words in the English language these days, things that make me laugh, so I just thought I'd include this one for you today. Huh. Well, there is a brightest object now ever detected. It is a distant quasar that has become the most luminous object ever seen by the eyes of humankind. Scientists say the energy emitted makes the quasar over 500 trillion times more luminous than our sun. The wow. quasar is the bright core of a galaxy that is powered by a gargantuan black hole some 17 billion times the mass of our sun. Now, don't tell me where they come up with these. Don't ask me where they come up with the mathematics for this. They act like they know what they're talking about, so we'll assume that they do, that somehow they can measure something that is 17 billion times the mass of our sun. That's incredible. It has a fancy name of J0529-4351, and the object's power was recently discovered by detectors at the Very Large Telescope. That's its name. Not very original. It's actually called the Very Large Telescope in Chile's Atacama Desert. Now, the term quasar is used to describe a galaxy with a very active and energetic core. The black hole at the center of this galaxy is pulling matter towards itself prodigiously. As this material is accelerated around the hole, it is torn apart and emits a huge amount of light, so much so that, so that even as an object as distant as this quasar is still visible to us is a long ways away, by the way. Yeah. So, anyway, it, say it takes a whopping 12 billion years to travel through space. The, the light from this quasar takes 12, 12 billion years to get here. So, wow. I mean, wow. At the speed of light, that is a long ways away. 
I can't even, I must be very small-minded, but I mean, I can't even comprehend these kinds of numbers. They're so immense. But there you have it, something to marvel at. And they actually have photographs of that taken with a telescope. All these beautiful galaxies, these pictures of these little bits of light in the photograph, and they have a, an arrow pointing to this, this quasar out in the vast area of space. And, by the way, speaking of space, we just had a, a snow moon uh, this last weekend. It's the se- it was the second full moon of the year. It's, uh, it was the farthest from Earth in 2024. It's uh, called an apogee full moon or the snow moon. And it will be this year's smallest full moon. Well, some of you may have heard about this. This was on mainstream news. I'm sorry, but I will take up a story or two from them. This is pretty remarkable, actually, for those of you who haven't heard it. We've been having some pretty massive jet streams and atmospheric rivers and such. Well, a massive jet stream that formed over the mid-Atlantic region last weekend resulted and a remarkable effect of boosting some eastbound commercial flights to travel faster than the speed of sound without breaking the sound barrier. A Virgin Atlantic flight reached the ground speed of 802 miles per hour, faster than the 767 mile per hour measurement at the speed of sound, when it went from Washington to London, landing 45 minutes ahead of schedule. It was moving so fast. That wasn't the only plane that had a boost from the jet stream. Two other commercial jetliners achieved similar feats uh, that clocked in at a blistering 265 miles an hour compared to the average jet stream speed of 110 miles per hour. That means the jet stream was over double what it normally is. Uh, These planes were averaging 835 miles an hour. That's incredible. I wonder what it felt like inside. I wonder, wonder if the passengers <laughs> could tell they were speeding. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, when we look at atmospheric phenomena and, and the weather and the things that are going on, they don't really tell us a lot. But, uh, wow, if I were a scientist, I think that might raise my interest, this kind of jet stream speed. Pretty pretty remarkable. I'm sure there's more story to that than what they're telling us besides the fast, the speed of jets in the air. Well... This is a fascinating story. Uh, Asthma drug can stave off food allergies in up to two-thirds of human beings with food allergies. That's right. This drug is called omalizumab. Wait a minute, guys. Hang on there. This is a chemical. I'm not very good with these. Omalizumab. Okay? Omalizumab. Somebody else is going to be able to make, make it sound better. Uh, O-M-A-L-I-Z-U-M-A-B. It's a drug that they use to to treat asthma, and now they have discovered that it substantially reduces the risk of life-threatening reactions in people from ages one one up, from one years old up, uh, that have multiple common food allergies such as peanuts or seafood. Uh, They say it's not a cure to food allergies, but it could not only improve their quality of life, but save their lives. The day-to-day life of people with food allergies is consumed by fear of accidental exposure to food allergens that they don't know is in their food. I mean, you'd be a little bit unnerved sometimes. You don't know what you're eating. I have a relative that's allergic to seafood, and I have to be very careful where he eats out. So they say that this finding, that this asthma drug can um, ameliorate that, problem 
is really important, and it could really save people's lives. I think that's amazing. So if you have food allergies, uh, check that out, the asthma, asthma drug, drug, and I already spelled it for you, and I won't torture you with my pronunciation. We'll just leave it at that, and you might want to look into it. Okay. Well, here's one for you. A dog has won a lottery. This comes from Asia. While shopping, a woman named Ms. Lin uh, got into a problem with her golden retriever because he got off a leash and ran into a lottery shop. By the time she caught up with her dog, she discovered it had chewed up one of the lottery tickets on the table. Well, because it had teeth marks on the card, she had to buy it. Little did she know that act would unveil a winning prize of a thousand yen. She said, I was so shocked. I've never won such a large sum of money. It wasn't exactly a jackpot win because a thousand yen is only about $135, but all the same, (laughs) the dog got her some money. It was a fortunate result. (laughs) Being forced to buy a lottery ticket, and it was a winner. (laughs) Pretty cute. Well, here's one for you girls. This is for all the ladies in our audience. Do you know that they've been using lipstick for at least 4,000 years? They have discovered an ancient lipstick, and they have a picture of it on the net. Uh, It was housed in a decorated stone tube with carvings on it. It's amazing. It's a hollow stone tube, and inside uh, it had lipstick in it. It dates to about... Uh, 2,000 years BCE. And this is according to a uh, study published in the journal Scientific Reports. They think that this lipstick vial came from uh, a place called Martazi, which according to the Mesopotamian texts was a powerful civilization that occupied what's now eastern Iran. 2,000 years before Christ? Wow. Now, lip pigment was just one of the many beauty products used in ancient Iran. Perhaps the most prominent cosmetic was eyeliner, which was made of a black powder called sorma and was worn by both men and women. Think Egyptian. Anyway, analysis of the lipstick um, reveals that it was made of hematite, which induces the deep red color, magnetite, brownite, galena, anglesite, and plant-based waxes. This mixture, you might be surprised to learn, bears a striking resemblance to the recipes for our contemporary lipsticks. Furthermore, they think the lipstick was probably fragrant because the vial contained plant extracts, they said, which could have been used to produce a scent. The study also notes that the lipstick vial's appearance supports the idea that cosmetic products in ancient times were branded, packaged, and traded in standard types of containers with specific forms, allowing for easy identification, just as with contemporary cosmetics. Hmm. The, the tube that it, was, that it was found in was a beautiful greenish hematite, a chloride, excuse me, it was chloride, very pretty little stone tube and with beautiful carvings. So, yes, they used to wear makeup many thousands of years ago. Well, now they have discovered that this is just amazing. This is important. Um, years ago, they came up with a TB vaccine, a TB vaccine. Uh, a lot of people have had it. 
It's called the BCG vaccine. In the early parts of the 20th century, a lot of people lost their lives to tuberculosis. Even the 19th century, it's highly infectious. Um, They did come up with this vaccine, and it saved millions of lives. But now they have discovered that this vaccine is a weapon in the fight against Alzheimer's. This is tremendous. Um, Several studies regarding this BCG uh, says that it can protect people from developing Alzheimer's. They say if these preliminary trials uh, bear out in their clinical results, it could be a very cheap and effective weapon in our fight against dementia. It's something that nobody would expect, an unattended consequence in a very good way. They found that the BCG injections effectively reduce plasma amyloid levels. And if you know anything about Alzheimer's, you'll know that that's what creates the dementia, the amyloids in the brain, and particularly among humans who carry the gene variants that are associated with a higher risk of Alzheimer's. If you have Alzheimer's in your family and you're young and you're concerned, well, understand that there's one treatment that's probably underway. It will only be pennies a treatment or pennies uh, an injection. It's very inexpensive. Um, They say they hope that this will be an effective strategy for fighting Alzheimer's in the years ahead. Amazing. A cure right out there. Well, they say it doesn't cure it, but treats it anyway. Um, Right out there in the open all these many years. Well, I had not known anything about this, and believe me, you don't either. That's why I'm sharing it with you. Many of us will be horrified to find that there is an agreement that has been secret, a secret energy treaty. And uh, how do we find out about this? Well, we found out about this because the United Kingdom has become the latest country to announce that it's withdrawing from the controversial Energy Charter Treaty, the ECT, which allows fossil fuel companies to sue governments for profits lost due to climate policies. The fossil fuel companies have had license to punish governments and take taxpayer dollars because of money that they claim they they lose because of our green energy efforts. The treaty has allowed fossil fuel investors to sue states for lost profit expectations, not necessarily profits, but what they were expecting to earn in a very opaque and secret corporate arbitration system that was set up to protect fossil fuel investors in the former Soviet economies in the 1990s. This uh, apparently uses a system of secret courts to facilitate legal action and is the most litigated investment treaty in the world. And for example, in November last year, an oil firm used it to sue the EU Germany and Denmark over a windfall tax. This energy charter treaty has been criticized for being a significant obstacle to enacting national policies to combat climate change and for actively disincentivizing national governments from compliance with recent international climate treaties such as the Paris Agreement due to the threat of significant financial loss. No wonder, therefore, according to Euronews, One after another, signatories to the treaty have decided to drop it. They're quitting. They're getting out. France, Germany, and Poland are already out, with Luxembourg soon to follow by the summer, while the Netherlands, Slovenia, Spain, Denmark, Ireland, Portugal 
have all announced their intention to quit. Italy left seven years ago, and now the UK has joined. Campaigners for global change welcome the news, saying that they've gotten themselves out of a, tr- a straitjacket to justice. Uh, they say the planet will, po- will profit, and the big companies will mourn. Well, you getting enough omega-3? Check that off. What about antioxidants from fruit and vegetables? Check that off. But what about choline? Are you getting enough choline? Well, I want to tell you that this little-known compound is often referred to as the brain-building nutrient. It is neither vitamin nor mineral, but a key chemical needed by the brain and nervous system to regulate memory, mood, and muscle control. And according to the British Medical Journal, most Western populations are not getting enough choline, and it's a problem exacerbated by the trend towards plant-based diets, since the best sources are meat, fish, eggs, and dairy. So this is for you vegetarians. Now, as choline is water-soluble, the body cannot store it. And although some is made in the liver, you need to get most of it from your food. The European Food Safety Authority has set a daily intake of 400 milligrams for adults. And, just for your knowledge, one egg contains about 150 uh, milligrams of choline. Uh, A small chicken breast has 117 milligrams. Salmon has 113. In your plant sources, you have shiitake mushrooms, uh, butter beans, broccoli, and peas. All contain choline. Well, here's a wild story. Talk about secrets, secret contracts, secret this. What about a secret forest? Well, I have something to tell you. There's something called the Walimi Pine. Unusual name, W-O-L-L-E-M-I. It's a pine tree. It evolved 91 million years ago. And according to the fossil record, it went extinct about 2 million years ago. But... In Australia's Blue Mountains, a stand of 90 specimens were found high in the remote peaks way back in 1994. We've all thought it was extinct. They were extinct, anybody who knew about the tree. You didn't know that, did you? You didn't know that Australia had a hidden forest of Wolimi trees because the Australian botanists treated the specimens as a top-secret national treasure for the past 30 years. It has been one of their... Top secrets of Australia. And they've only recently let this cat out of the bag. Over all these years, a team of specialists from the National Parks and Wildlife Service has been gradually planting small clumps of the Wolimi pine in other locations to help ensure it will enjoy another 91 million years on the earth. Now, here's the thing. Visits to the sites are very rare. As a matter of fact, (laughs) they're avoided in all but the most necessary occasions. Botanists are allowed in. Workers have to decontaminate themselves and sanitize their bodies to ensure they don't bring disease or invasive species that could threaten these very special trees. Now, if you want to go see these remarkably ancient trees, you can't. Unauthorized entry into the site is punishable by up to two years in prison and an enormous fine. As part of an effort to preserve these pines, seedlings have been shipped across the world to botanical gardens, and that's the reason I'm re- telling you about this today. They're releasing these seedlings, and 
I guess people are saying, where did you get these? They're supposed to be extinct. And so we found out about the hidden forest in Australia with these little stand of 90 specimens. The photographs of them are amazing. They're a tall trunk, very tall, with a fern top. It looks like, it looks like a fern on the top. And they tell us they only grow one centimeter per year. And it's a very slow-growing plant. Well, yeah, yeah. And speaking of plants, did you know, I know you don't know, I'm going to tell you about it. You can now be the proud owner of a bioluminescent houseplant. There's a company called Biotechnology, a light firm, excuse me, called LightBio from Idaho that is going to begin shipping a batch of 50,000 petunias in April. They're calling them firefly petunias. Now, I don't know why they're talking about houseplants because I never thought of a petunia as a houseplant. Do you? Anyway. No, No. anyway. It says the firefly petunia glows brightly and doesn't need special food thanks to a group of genes inserted into the plant for the bioluminescent mushroom called Neothopenus nambi. That's the best I can do, folks. (laughs) (laughs) The bioluminescence happens without needing any particular type of light or special food. Fast-growing parts of the plant, such as the budding flowers and leaves, glow the brightest. There's a picture of that, a, a video on the Internet. You wouldn't believe it. It's, it's unbelievable. Think about the little green stickers that you get your kids or been around for years. You just put them on the ceiling, you know, the stars and stuff that, that glow green at night. That's what these plants look like. They say if you treat the plants really well and if it gets enough sunlight and you keep it healthy, it glows brighter. Hmm. Um, it's not bright enough to keep you awake at night. They say its gentle green glow is similar to the light of the full moon, which means if you put these bioluminescent petunias along your front walk, (laughs) you'd be able to find your way to the front door at night. (laughs) Uh, By the way, they're uh, available to you. They're going to be shipping them in April. You can pre-order them. They're not $29 a plant. It would be kind of expensive to have a flower bed in your front yard, but if that's what you want to do, there you go. You can have plants that grow in the dark and they'll be shipping those in April. So it's a bioengineered item, I'm, you know, but I'm just sharing. That's, that's what they're going to do. It's really quite pretty on the video. It's pretty amazing. So there you have it. Now, I really, this is one of my favorite stories, I mean, uh, for a long time. The Japanese have a beautiful way of embracing flaws and imperfections. The word for that is kintsugi. Kintsugi translates, roughly, as golden joinery. And it's the philosophy that the value of an object is not in its beauty, but in its imperfections. And that these imperfections are something to celebrate, not hide. Now, the art of Kintsugi is a technique where broken pottery pieces are repaired with gold, creating an even stronger, more beautiful piece of art. Every break is unique, and instead of repairing an item to make it appear like new or as if it were never broken, the 400-year-old art form highlights the scars as a part of the design of the pottery. It doesn't matter how valuable the pottery. It doesn't matter how tragic it might seem that it got broken. No, they will rejoin these with gold, making it even more valuable and the point of interest being the break itself. 
using this as a metaphor for healing ourselves teaches us an important lesson. In the process of repairing things that have been broken, we actually create something even more unique, even more beautiful and resilient. The first step to embracing your imperfections is to acknowledge them. That's not hard to do, is it, everybody? (laughs) We are not perfect, but neither is anyone else. Our imperfections are what make us special. So instead of seeing your imperfections as weaknesses, see them as a source of strength. The challenges you have faced in your life have made you stronger and more resilient. And do treat yourself with the same kindness and compassion that you would offer to a friend. When you make a mistake or experience a setback, be gentle with yourself. Remember that it's okay to be imperfect. Envision yourself as perhaps being under the kind and gentle hand of a Japanese artist, a man who or woman who does the gold and joinery and puts you back together with gold. Um, wow, I think that's just a tremendous thing. Yeah. Let's all mentally practice kintsugi when it comes to kindness to ourselves. Kintsugi. And from my heart to each one of you, I think you're all beautiful and perfect, (laughs) just the way you are. I hope you all have a beautiful couple of weeks. Thank you so much for letting me be with you tonight, Ariel. Oh, it's always a pleasure. Tonight, yes, one of my favorite subjects. Well, stay tuned. Uh huh. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for the Starseed news and. Um, We will talk to you again in two weeks. Yes, dear. Thank you so much. Good night, everybody. Good night. Okay. Well, I am going to um, get Tina's mic open. Well, hi, Tina. Welcome to the show. Hey, Ariel. How are you? I'm doing really well. It's so nice to talk to you. Um, it's been a, a while since we met um, at the Starseed Quest in uh, 2016, and a lot has happened since then in a very positive way. So um, I think maybe to start off, we just kind of give some background about what led you to this work, and is this something that that you had um, within you as a child, or is it something that just kind of bloomed at a later point? Well, as a child, I've always been sensitive, and I always picked up on other people's feelings, and I was very afraid of the dark. I always say that's a sign of a child that might be a medium because uh, we're sensing things you know, beings that might be in the room with us and that makes us afraid. So, and the funny thing is I always read books about mediums and I thought, wow, wouldn't it be cool to have these abilities, not really understanding that I actually had those abilities. But it wasn't until 2014 when I received my Reiki training that year and I became a Reiki teacher, and my Reiki teacher also was a shamanic practitioner. So I loved her teaching, I loved her classes, and I decided to sign up for everything that she offered. 
And she's the one who taught me how to shamanic journey and do soul retrieval. And so I just dove right into that like I did with the Reiki training. Um, with my Reiki training, I, right away I started working with others and um, I never just did it just for myself or for my family, which is perfectly fine. But I always thought bigger, like how many pe- more people could I help and impact their lives? And the same thing happened with my shamanism training. I started practicing on friends and relatives in the beginning, and then I started doing them for clients. I never stopped ever since. So when I attended the uh, Starseed Quest in 2016, I had only been practicing for about a year um, at that point. Wow. Well, you've come late years since then, haven't you? That's what Lavender tells me because I have, <laughs> I've consistently gotten um, readings from her and she's given me really good feedback on how much work I've actually done on myself because I've done a lot of these journeys for myself. And if you read the book, Into the Tree, Some of them are very personal journeys I've done with some of the struggles that I've had, either emotional or physical struggles. Well, and I have to tell you, I love that name of the book, Into the Tree. Uh, I've just, you know, trees are are so much a part of uh, multidimensional worlds and... um, you know the, the the root systems are all kind of interconnected in a way and and that gives you a lot of access when you are kind of becoming one with the, with the tree so um let me let me just ask you a couple of questions and then I want to talk about some some of the the chapters in your book, but just to kind of um, clarify, and first of all, you do um, teach you teach um, more than one thing, right? You you mentor people in in, in giving them certifications for um, a variety of things. Is that correct? Yes, I teach Reiki, a sort of certification classes. So all levels, one, two, three, and then master, teacher. And I also teach shamanism to a select few who have those abilities to learn. You have to be clairvoyant and clairaudient in order to shamanic journey. So that would be the prerequisite for level one. But I have four levels of shamanism training, and I'm excited. I just taught a student recently who finished all four levels. So that was uh, quite an accomplishment for her and for me as well. And then I teach other classes. Um, I've been reading the tarot professionally since 2014, so I have an introductory class on how to read the tarot. Um, I have classes on enhancing your psychic abilities, classes for empaths and kind of survival tips in today's world. So I create classes that where people come to me and ask me, I would like to learn this. 
or I would like to get better at this. And that's basically how I've created a lot of my classes over the years. Great. That's a good point that you that you make because um, people who are empathic, um, they they have particular issues that that they need to um, you know kind of learn how to turn it on, turn it off, and and not you know and not just be like a sponge absorbing everything, right? Right. And a lot of the classes I teach, I've been through this already. Um, I used to be one of those empaths that would walk around and feel everything and and feel everybody's feelings and then get confused because I didn't understand that it wasn't coming from me. I assumed it all came from me and then it would could be really overwhelming and I would end up wanting to cry on the couch because I was feeling all these feelings and I didn't understand where they were coming from. So I would call that an unconscious empath. But I try to teach through the class um, empaths that are conscious and so who are awake and aware of their feelings versus other people's feelings or their energies versus other people's energies. And when you learn that, those skills, it, you can handle the world a lot better. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so um, when when you came to the quest in, in 2016, um, do you feel that your experience there um, accelerated, emphasized, or impacted your work in some way? Um, I remember getting my first reading with you, Ariel, and I remember you were um, excited to read my um, chart, and I didn't really understand why. <laughs> but and and I was like, okay, well, we'll just go with it. And then um, I remember you referred me to Lavender, and she said the same thing. And what ended up being is out of the twelve houses, I had. Ten of my houses had starseed markers, so I didn't really know I was a starseed at that point. Um, but it makes sense now because uh, lots of starseeds feel like they don't really fit in, and mm-hmm. I never really felt like I fit in. I never really thought like other people. I never really had feelings like other people. Like my feelings were always really strong and people would get intimidated or weirded out by my feelings so I learned to tamper them down and I'm I don't know I just always felt out of it here like I was picking up on information that other people weren't picking up on and so it was kind of a lonely experience but once in a while I would find someone like me and it would be such a big relief because they were getting what I was getting. Right. <clears throat> so you were, like most, you know, most star seeds and, and pretty much our whole community, um, at some point tried to fit in with the wrong um, group. You know, you try to fit in with these, try to fit in with these people, and it makes you feel alone and separated. But the only problem was that you were trying to fit in with um, 
let's just say, people who were on a different level. And in a lot of cases, you know, you would have had to uh, uh, submerge your abilities and and kind of dumb down a little bit in order to fit in with, you know, you know, the average, you know, average human. And and I think that's a a, a point where a lot of star seeds will find themselves when when they realize that oh, I fit in just fine with these people. They're you know like minded. Um, soul family, what we call it, and um, yeah. So, don't worry if you don't fit in because it just—it's not that you don't fit with them. It's just that they don't fit with you. Right. Um, and I always yeah. tell even a lot of my clients and students—they're like me. You know, they're drawn to me for a reason, and they come find me for a reason. And I always tell them, find your tribe. You have to find people like you. And and you have to create a community and you have to be together and talk about what's happening in the world. You can't be mm-hmm. alone in this. You know, you have to get out there and you have to try. So Reiki is great because I get along with you know, other Reiki practitioners and, and, you know, other people with the similar abilities that I have or star seeds. And you can start there, but you've got to start there. I feel like there are a lot of people out there who are not trying or they're afraid and they're really lonely. So then they come to me and they talk my ear off for two hours (laughs) (laughs) about all the cool things that's happened to them their entire lives, you know. But you have to go find your people. Right. And they are out there. So, um, yeah, now, um, I, I remember your chart. And probably, I mean, besides having, you know, 10 of 12 house cusps at galactic degree, which you had to earn that and you chose that and you had to qualify for that. But um, you also have Jupiter at zero degrees um, in Aquarius. And that is, I mean, zero degrees of any sign is the crack between the worlds. And if, you know... People who are natural, you know, shamanic journeyers um, would have that. And Jupiter is very influential. Um, You know, it's a very powerful planet in a chart. So having your Jupiter at that crack between the worlds, um, that's like your your license and uh, your rites of passage to do the work that you're doing. So, you yeah, know. I remember um, when I was out in Montana, and this is in the book, um, I went out to Montana to look at the megaliths out there, and Julie Ryder is the woman out there. She's a medicine woman that's kind of the caretaker of these places, and I remember following her around in the woods for a couple of days, just listening to all the wealth of information she talked about. She turned to me and she said, you know, you're a Chuck Moore. And I was like, a what? (laughs) I didn't even know what she was talking about. And she said, well, my husband is a Chuck Moore, and a Chuck Moore is an interdimensional guardian. And you have that guardian energy. You, You feel like you guard people or things or places. And so over the years, I've gotten some validation on some of my 
facilities. Yeah, well, like I said, you came in this lifetime with the ability and the permission to do what you do. Now, having made that point, um, I would I would say, would you agree that not everybody has that license? And and I mean, so you just can't wake up. And it's like, oh, I'm, I think I'm going to be a shaman. If you don't have the no, soul records, and you know what? If, if I could do, if I had the ideal upbringing, I would have been brought up by another shaman. But I'm a girl from New York City. You know, there, there were no sh- shamans around to be had. Um, and I simply learned, you know, from my teacher, and I had the abilities, and I've been pretty brazen about using them. I mean, once I understood that I could do this, I felt like I had creator's permission to do this kind of work that I could journey for other people, that I could go to ancient sites and clear them or, or you know, do ceremony there. And I've been rarely, rarely told no by spirit to do things when I had, you know, came up with ideas to do things. So, and when they told me no, you know, sometimes I wasn't happy about it, but I listened. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I'm just going to ask some, some, you know, really kind of basic questions um, for the listeners who maybe are are new to this. So um, what is the difference between shamanic journeying and remote viewing? I think that shamanic journeying, the way I do it, is like a self-guided meditation. It has a structure. And so I follow the structure of that self-guided meditation. And so I use drumming music to get help myself get into that trance state. And then I find, you know, I gather my power animals with me. And we find the tree of life. And the tree of life is the portal into the spirit world. And then there's always a door on the tree of life. So you open that door. You go inside, you ask your questions, and you have a direct line to the creator inside of the tree. So sometimes I hear his voice, and we have a little chat. He's never that talkative. But sometimes he'll, you know, give me a little guidance in the tree. I'll ask the question, and then there's a door in the back of the tree, you go out. And then you wait till something appears in front of you, like a landscape or a guide might show up, or an animal might show up to lead you to the next place to get your answers. Remote viewing is more like you're you're choosing a spot on the planet that you would like to go see. And I think from what I understand, it's totally blind. You don't have any information about that area. And you go and look at what's happening there. Um, which is different. Like I'm journeying into the spirit world. So there's different mm-hmm. levels in the spirit world to go visit. Yeah, well, yeah, I just I, I just wanted to make that, that differentiation because it seems to me that 
remote viewing is um, more like observation without any participation. Right. Right. Yeah. It's like a, you're just observing. You're just looking. Whereas in a journey, I'm interacting with the beings that show up, the mm-hmm. guides that show up, the animals that show up. And with the soul retrieval, which is part of the book, it's a type of shamanic journey where you go and retrieve lost soul pieces of yourself or someone else. And so you're going into events where your soul might be stuck in that event. It's usually traumatic. But you can go in there and rescue yourself out of that situation. And so there are some of those um, descriptions of soul retrieval in the book as well. Well, I've gone in there and saved myself from, you know, whatever horrible thing might have happened. So is it... um and from as I was reading your book, um, you you're, you can leave a piece. Excuse me, you can leave a piece of yourself behind in a maybe very traumatic experience or chapter of some other lifetime, or it could be a place that had so much joy that you right. wanted to stay connected to that. So it could be either or, right? Right. It could be a happy moment. Like I did a shamanic journey for a friend, and I found her as a little girl swinging in the backyard with a family friend. And it was a place she didn't want to leave. But I found her there, So, and I was doing the soul retrieval, so I felt like this energy needed to come back to her now instead of being in this place and part of the reason why she was there she missed this family friend who had passed away so she was still trying to be there with that family friend Mm. so the soul knows like the soul is going to take you where you need to retrieve that energy so imagine if you're a really old soul which a lot of us are and your energy isn't I don't know, 50 different lives out there. Can you imagine how you might be depleted or you might feel like you're missing something if you have all that energy scattered? So the great thing about doing the soul retrieval is you're bringing that energy back. And then all of the uh, experience and wisdom of that lifetime comes back too, and you can utilize it right now. Wow. So would you say that soul retrieval is related to taking your power back? Yes, definitely. And um, people ask me, how do you know someone needs a soul retrieval? I said, well, I listen to their language when they're describing to me their struggles, and they usually say, feel like I'm missing something. I feel like I'm not all here. And then I know I need to do a silver retrieval for them. Wow, interesting. So, um, for people that that are maybe um, they have the the soul records to be able to do uh, a shamanic journey for themselves, um, but they're just beginning to 
kind of remember or wake up to that. Uh, what, what steps would you recommend to these beginners to be sure that they're protected and dealing with the highest light? I would ideally find a teacher that could teach them. Um, and there's definitely some wonderful books out there. My book talks about the basic steps on how to shamanic journey. Um, but with everything, I always invoke my angels and my guides in anything that I do. So that sets the stage for dealing with the higher, the highest vibrational beings out there. You want to be very intentional about that. And then it's like giving your angels and guides a heads up. Like, hey, I'm about the shamanic journey. You know, I need you with me. I need your assistance. And then things can move a lot smoothly that way. Mhm. Because right, I know that I mean the the uh, let's say the rules of the physical world are completely different when you when you're <laughs> leaving the physical world. You know, you you step into the tree and you go out the other side. Um, you know, physical laws um, and the way that you know we would do things as humans that just gets thrown out the window. So they really need to have, um, yeah, that experienced uh, experienced soul, a higher, um, you know, a soul of higher light to kind of, you know, keep them safe because there are, um, let's say, energies that are not in the physical world that, just because they're not in the physical world doesn't make them um, benevolent and wise. Right. So when you're when I train my students in level one shamanism, um, the very first shamanic journey they do is to go find their power animals. And the power animals are your guardians in the spirit world. They're like your guardians and your companions. So whenever you journey from now on, they are always with you. So that's great, too, because sometimes you see things in the spirit world that can look a little dicey. And it's, <laughs> nice, to have, <laughs> it's nice to have your power animal there with you. Right, right, yeah. I mean, um, is, there a, is there a possibility, like if you see something that you absolutely were not expecting and it's alarming, can it, you know... Um, can the journey abruptly end because you were startled or or experienced some kind of fear? Wouldn't that make you kind of retract into the physical? I, I not me actually. Um, I have one of the first shamanic journeys I ever did. Found I ended up in an area where there was a pond and there was a huge snake that came out of the pond, and I was like, whoa, what is this? But I stay calm because I feel like, you know, there's there's nothing that can really hurt me because I have so many guardians. I mean, as a guardian, I have a lot of guardians. Mm-hmm. And so I just stay calm and speak with them and ask them for the information I'm looking for 
And there's only one, I think, one time I got knocked out of a shamanic journey, and that's because I felt like I wasn't going anywhere with it. But that's only one out of almost a hundred that I've done. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why it happened that way, but I just felt like well, I'm not really doing anything here, so I'm going to come back. But I've interrupted myself. I've I've started a shamanic journey, and I've gotten up and changed the music and laid back down. But I'm just freaky that way. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, um, I, one 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 thing I was thinking as I was you know reading through your book is because each each chapter is kind of self-contained, and when I when I see a book like that, sometimes um, you know if I have a question, um, and I'll just randomly open to a page in the book, and 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 the page is so relevant, it's like oh. That's really close to what I was just thinking, or or um, or that makes sense, or it's just something clicks. Um, did you think your book could work like that? Definitely, and to be honest, um, I did not pick a certain order to these shamanic journeys and soul retrievals. They're they kind of ended up in the order they ended up. So yeah, mm-hmm. you definitely could use it that way. But each journey is a journey and a story in itself. And I wanted my readers to read it and get an idea of what the spirit world is like and how the spirit world could help us in our world with guidance. And I think of a shamanic journey, it's it's like a dream, but you're awake and you know what you're doing and you can change your path and you can jump over the river and you're doing all this fun, cool stuff in the shamanic journey that you won't necessarily do in a dream. Because I feel like dreams, we can't really control them. At least I can't. If I try to control my dream and change my dream, I wake up. But in a shamanic journey, you have all this leeway to move and talk with. And you can, you know, it's not all work. Sometimes I'm dancing to drum music. Sometimes I join some Native Americans around the bonfire. So, you know, you can have a little fun with it, too. Right, yeah. It could be um, a a pleasant experience, um, you know, joining with uh, wiser people, people that are, are beings that that you might meet along the path that have uh, some wisdom for you. So um, you want to kind of describe some of the more profound journeys that you've taken? Yeah, so since I started Shamanic Journey, one of the guides that shows up a lot for me is Isis. I did a Shamanic Journey... Some of the best ones I've done is just to be of service instead of having a specific question. I'll go into the tree and say, hey, put me where you need me. And I'll end up, you know, raking the earth with the archangels or um, clearing Auschwitz. 
Um, that was one of the journeys that they took me to. But one of the ones I did with her, um, I ended up in the island, and I noticed there were a lot of souls there that seemed lost. And what I call this, like, psychopump or, or guiding beings into the light. Um, shamanic journey was the way I discovered I could do this. And so this particular journey, I ended up guiding probably hundreds of them at the same time. And the message at the end was, Isis is usually there at the end with some kind of message for me. And she says, well, I want you to go big. I don't want you to think small. And the name of that journey is go big or go home. And so ever (laughs) since I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Ever since I did that journey, I've always been able to, I always think about how big can I make this? Like, how many more people can I help with this? So whenever I do work, shamanic work or sacred ceremony, I'm thinking about the collective. I'm thinking about humanity. I'm thinking about the animal kingdom. And how can I help them? So that was the, one of the biggest journeys that I've ever had that really changed my work, my spiritual work after that. Mm. I know that, that, that journey about um, helping to clear um, the trauma of the Auschwitz concentration camp, I mean, that was kind of mind-blowing. Yeah, you never know where you might end up. And, um, I, I, you know, I just, with clear cognizance, I was like, well, I think this is Auschwitz because it looks like it, but I'm not sure. And after the journey, I looked it up, and it looked exactly like it did in my journey. Hmm. And the wonderful thing is that spirit honors you and rewards you for this kind of work. So though at the end of that journey... Um, I saw a rose in the ground. And the rose is very meaningful to me because it's a symbol of Mother Mary and Mary Magdalene who have been with me for a long time as well. So I felt like they were part of it and they were telling me, good job. Thank you for doing that. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, well, you do have those markings. So, I mean, you're just, you're right on time and um excuse me um what um so you do um remote sessions you do you know like consultations how do you do your work when uh, when pe- when people come to you so with shamanic journeys if they're interested in that or soul retrievals and you know, you're not in the Charleston area um, where I live. We, I can do it remotely. So I just set up a time with the client to do it. And ideally, the client will be laying down or in a relaxed state during that time, you know, not working or driving. I mean, I could do it then, but um, ideally, they would be in a relaxed state. And then I would do the journey for them and then... I would call them or write it up for them and tell them what I found. And for people who live in the Charleston area, South Carolina, I encourage them to come to my office and 
they just lay down beside me while I do the journey. They don't really have to do anything. And I'll do the journey for them together. And people really enjoy it. They like it. Wow. Wow. Well, that is, that's just, that's great because you are not, you're not limited by, you know, third dimensional time and space. So really, yeah. And then like my other, other sessions, like um, I do intuitive counseling, I do tarot readings, all of that can be done over Zoom or over the phone. So we're not limited at all. You know, he and shamanism teaches us that we're not limited by time or space. We can feel anything, anytime, anywhere. Wow. So, um, is there any other any other um, journey that you'd like to talk about, or you know, a, a soul retrieval that has kind of stuck with you since you've done it? One um, of the first journeys that I write about in the book is I journeyed to go talk to Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Did you get a chance to read that one? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. So that one was an interesting one because. Um, I think there's sometimes some tension between them and I walked into Jesus teaching to a crowd of people but yet Mary Magdalene was in the background kind of watching him being very pregnant and so I ended up in that journey talking with her and she gave me some messages and then I talked with Jesus also um, and he asked me to heal the crowd while I was, and I ended up doing that too. And so I think just journeying is a wonderful way to go where you want to go. I mean, if you read a book, for example, I read about the land of the ancestors. And I said, well, I'm going to go journey to the land of the ancestors. And I ended up meeting with my great-grandmother on my dad's side and my dad, and so it's just a wonderful way to go somewhere and experience that place for the people. Well, well, yeah, and and especially, um, I was like preface that 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 you have had the the training. And and I I, I kind of don't want to encourage people. It's like, oh, I think I'm just going to go do that without any training or guidelines or, you know, mentorship uh, because it's not, it's not a party game. Yeah. Yeah, so I would encourage people to, um, you know, get your book, seek you out if this is something that you want to pursue because there is, um, you know, the, there's the, the wise way of doing it and then there's the unwise way of doing it. So if you're considering, speaking to the listeners, if you're considering um, learning or investigating about this, um, make sure that you have a qualified mentor and that you yourself have the rites of passage to do it. So um, is there anything else that you want to talk about? I think I've asked you all the the questions that I had um, thought about. Um, 
No, I, you know, this book, uh, I've always wanted to write a book, and it's one of those goals that I had that was kind of annoying because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you. I feel like I came into this lifetime with this list of things that I wanted to do, and I think writing a book was one of them. So I'm really happy that I finished the book. There's definitely more coming, um, I think. And um, I'm glad I did it. I just needed to do it. It didn't make sense. It was a lot of work, but I'm glad I did it. And I always remembered Lavendar said, if you ever write a book, Tina, contact the show. I said, okay, I'm done. Right. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I, I mean, I'm just, I, I, I've got a picture of your chart in my mind, and, and you have the rites of passage as the, you know, the galactic messenger, uh, the the galactic writer, um, as well as the you know the the shamanic journeyer, um, and as you know, and also that that connection with Jesus and Mary Magdalene is coded in your chart. So yeah, um, yeah. you know, for the listeners, uh, Tina can do this because she has the. Um, the soul maturity, the soul records, and the and the and the chart that supports that which you chose in the first place. So you know, uh, having those things all in line, uh, it's only natural. And who knows what you're going to come up with next? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I'm going to Egypt soon, so I think there's a book coming out of that trip, and I'm feeling. Uh, a lot of pressure from ISIS to go out there. <laughs> mm. so well, I just make sure. There. I mean, I, I I can't imagine anyone going to Egypt and not wanting to go and and see the pyramids. Is yeah, that on your plan? I'll be traveling up and down the Nile. Each location represents a chakra within the body. So we're going to start at the root and work our way to the crown. And I I really feel like the overarching mission of being there is because of the war happening nearby. And so my overarching goal when I go visit is to maintain peace, to promote peace. Right. In any way right. I can. And um the last time uh Lavendar was talking about the pyramids You've got to be really careful because there's some kind of fungus inside the pyramid and people are coming out mm-hmm. sick. So, you know, mm-hmm. you might want to make sure you've got some kind of a, a mask or something um, if you plan on going in there because it's it's become a health hazard. Mm-hmm. So well, just I'll keep be having my, my little collection of Giza that Lavendar gave me all those years ago. So I'll be recharging them. <laughs> Oh, okay. All right. Well, um, I, I want to once more just um, mention that your website is Tina Kinney Clark, Kinney, K-I-N-N-E-Y, Clark, with an E on the end, dot com, Tina Kinney Clark dot com, and your book, Into the Tree, Journeying into the Spirit World, is on Amazon. And if someone wanted to um, 
work with you. Um, it, that's on your website and your contact info if they wanted to um, arrange something yes, with and you. I'm, I'm on Instagram and Facebook, and you can, or you can contact me directly um, through my website, and I'd be happy to do a journey. For, you don't have to learn how to do it yourself. I could do it for you. So um, uh, open yeah. the wide world of, this, of the spirit world for anyone. Well, that's excellent. And it's it's so nice to reconnect because, really, I haven't seen you since the quest. And um, I'm so proud of your getting the book done because you always had it in you. And now it's it's there for everyone. Yep. Thank you, Ariel, for having me on the show. Oh, you're so welcome. And um, I think that wraps it up for tonight. And I do want to thank you, Tina, for joining us. And for the listeners, we'll be back in uh, two weeks. And um, thank you so much, Tina. Thank you. Okay. So... Between now and the next time we're on the air, remember to hold gratitude in your heart always and replace judgment with compassion. Good night, everyone. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 